Hey, hey live from, from Salt, Salt Lake City, City. This, this is Heart of the Matter. Matter. I'm, I'm Sean McCraney, your host. host. Let's, Let's begin, begin with a prayer. prayer. Lord, we Lord, pray we that, that your spirit will be with all the viewers, viewers uh, wherever they may be and, and whenever they may watch. watch. We pray, we pray that, that whatever, whatever is said here, here in these interviews, that, that it will be beneficial and the stuff, stuff that's not true will be forgotten. forgotten. We, we pray, pray for those who are struggling, and that's, that's most of us. us. And we pray that your spirit will be with us in abundance, the spirit of truth, that we will walk in humility and contrition, and that we will be your children and you will be our God. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we have part one of three of an interview that I have with my brother and my friend, Eric Jurdy. He is a man who has had an interest and he has quite a, a, an extensive knowledge of NDEs, also known as near-death experiences. Uh, this is part one, an hour, part two, an hour, and then part three, about a half an hour. And that will happen over the next three weeks. Uh, the, the conversation is really fascinating. And, and it's, it's worth, worth some, some consideration. consideration. And, and so, so check, check this out. out. I, I think, think it's important, important to, to, to investigate all things and, and listen, listen to his, his reasoning behind his understanding of near-death experiences, experiences and, what and what they provide and what they do. They do. And his and reason why they aren't very popular within evangelical Christianity and some of the other things that Eric has to share. I found it really fascinating. And uh, so there's that. Now listen, people are saying, well, when are you going to have your live shows come back? You've been doing interviews with Dylan for six weeks, and now you got Jurdy for three weeks. And just we'll be back in two and a half weeks. We'll be back in uh, next week will be uh, no, not live. And then we will go uh, to uh, another live show and then show you the uh, the last part, part of the interview, the interview with, with Eric. Eric. Um, um, there's, there's just, just uh, something, something I want to say before uh, I, I, I begin, begin. And, and it's just on my heart, and I, I just shared it on uh, Christian Anarchy today, and that is, uh, I, just I just read, read that, that uh, fashion, fashion designer, designer Kate Spade, a billion-dollar billion conglomerate fashion, fashion designer, of, started with handbags, New York City, City uh, hung herself in her uh, high-rise in, in, on Park Avenue. And they found her body today. 55, 55 years, years old, she struggled with depression, and, and uh, she, she had everything that everybody in this world would think would make your life worth living. living. She, she, she had a husband, and a good husband. husband. She, she had, had a 13-year-old daughter. daughter. She, she had, had fame. fame. She, she had, had money. money. Um, she, she had, had a business, business thriving. She had people who loved her. She donated great amounts to charities. I mean, she had it all going, and she hung herself today, 55 years old. She didn't, she didn't do it because, it because she, she, she was, was uh, had a disease, disease uh, like cancer, cancer or something. something. She, she did it because she was battling depression. depression. And, and, and what that, that tells us, us like, like in the case of Robin Williams, Williams. And, 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 and in, in the, the case, case of all the other rock stars of the past that have, have been taking their lives, etc., that the things of this world will not fill you up. They won't fill you up. And that it is God who fills you up. Now, now, I know, I know that, that there are people who don't believe in God and have no God in their life, life who don't, don't kill themselves. themselves. But, but I'm, I'm just, just saying to those who find themselves with that hole in their heart, who find themselves depressed and not believing that there's an answer. There is an answer. Uh, and, and that is Christ Jesus. That God so loved us, he sent his son to this earth to live a life that we could not live. And we look to him. And we look to him in faith. And we, and we trust, trust in his redeeming life and blood. And, and in that, we, his life is imputed to us. And it fills you with a hope that is not of this world, a peace that is not of this world. And yeah, times can get trying, and maybe you could have some suicidal thoughts even as a Christian. But there is a hope in him 
that doesn't come any other way. And so I just wanted to share that with you. I just felt inclined because it's just so sad to me when people take their lives uh, who don't seem to have heard or understood the good news of Jesus Christ and what he can bring. So for now, let's tune in to Eric Jordan. All right, welcome everybody. And I'm really excited about tonight's program with Eric Jordy. And we've been talking actually for years uh, on emails and, and the phones, a couple phone calls, texts, stuff like that. He is the near-death experience guy. And I've been talking about him coming for the past month, month and a half. Really excited to have Eric. He's spent a lot of time uh, studying this, and um, and he has a background and more. He has a tremendous background. I'm not going to even preface it. We're going to get right into it. Welcome, my brother. Welcome, my brother Sean. Thank you for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. Um, let's go back. Start like we did with John Delenn at the beginning. I was born. <laughs> okay, I was born in 1974. Uh, actually, actually, I was born, I was born in, Provo, in Provo, which is just about 30 miles south of here. My, my father uh, was going to BYU, like, like uh, most are that go to you know, go to BYU. He went down, he went down there and had, had a, a got married, married, married my mother. mother. Uh, they're actually both originally from California. California. Anyways, I was born in Provo, and when I was about three or four months old, we moved back to Sacramento. My parents moved back to Sacramento after my dad graduated. Um, I had an older brother, so they'd been there for a couple years already. Uh, my uh, folks moved back, back to Sacramento, Sacramento and a um, little, little information on my parents. My, my dad and my mom are both converts. My, my, my biological father and my mom are both converts. Um, to the LDS Church. To the LDS Church, church. absolutely, yep. And um, so we moved, they moved back to, to Sacramento after my dad graduated from BYU. Um, my mom had, there's 15 of us all together as kids, nine boys, five girls. Now that's 15 from original mom and dad? No. no, from the original mom. From the mom has had 15 mom children. Mom has had 15. How many of those were dads, biologically? Eight. Eight. Okay, keep going. Yeah. And so. so what number are you? I'm the second oldest. Second I have an, oldest. just an older brother, Ben. Um, okay. And there's nine boys, five girls. There are, my first, the oldest girl is Anna, and she was like the sixth child or seventh wow. child. So there was all these boys. And wow. then suddenly the girl you know but as eldest families are wont to do my folks had a large family at least this is how it used to be you know mm -hmm. mormons used to have really big families i think bigger than they are now mm -hmm. so my and my mom um she loved kids but obviously she uh anyway so we moved back to california um the marriage was rocky it, it i think from the from the even the very beginning uh, my mom had had some with her family, um, you know, some family issues with, you know, I think her parents, her father was a World War II veteran, and there are some issues, I think, with some alcoholism. And my real father um, had his own issues with his family, some things. And so the LDS Church was kind of really a, a conduit for them to have some stability in their life, mm -hmm. have some spiritual grounding. Mm -hmm. So they both converted, and then I think they actually met in Sacramento. Mm and then uh, got married shortly thereafter, uh, went to BYU, and then he graduated. Anyways, the marriage wasn't long. Uh, you know, they, they didn't gel together well, my father and my mother, and it was very contentious. Um, 
in a lot of ways it wasn't really good it wasn't conducive to a really healthy family environment so um, they separated in 88 how old were you I was born in 74 so I would have been 14, 14. was that, that impactful that was tough that's tough very it was very impactful I was probably a hot mess you could ask my mom God bless her soul <laughs> you know a 14 year old male going through puberty I had a lot of rage I was I feel so bad about all the things I've done to look in the past and I think my poor mother what did I do what did I put her through you know but um, she is one tough cookie she is an amazing woman and um, she remarried and um, uh, married my stepfather uh, who was a great great man he's mm -hmm. a wonderful person mm -hmm. wonderful father and um, he really he really was a great dad to us after the divorce um, and they then we stayed in Sacramento for a while and upon my leaving high school or graduating from high school I was 91 my father they were looking to just move out of Sacramento I mean it was turning into a kind of a, a dump and they wanted to to kind of move on from there so my dad got a job teaching at Timpview High School my stepdad mm. and then at so at that point I had just finished school it was either stay in Sacramento go to college there or go in the Marine Corps like my best friend did or, or do something or go with my parents to Utah so I decided just to go to Utah because I'd been raised pretty much in California and I wanted to try something new see something different you didn't say one of your options was a mission no how come it was never pushed in my family okay Even after the divorce did your mom stay faithful LDS um y yes yes and no my mom's always been very intellectual mm. even when she converted in fact in Sacramento there used to be a TV program called moments of reflection mm. that uh, I think it was David Poli was the producer he was a big guy back in the Mormon Church back in the day you may not ring a bell but in California and it was like a 15-minute spot in Sacramento that my that my mother and stepfather did that was like you know a hymn or there'd be a guest or they'd speak you know do a scripture they did that but even though when my mom was doing that with my stepdad they were always kind of discussing things with the church that didn't sit well with them you know what I'm saying like sure. doctrines and whatnot and so they got married in the temple they got uh, and whatnot but they they never they never my mom never pushed mission on us ever she never did in fact it may have been the opposite mm. you know it was always very uh, hands-off it was never do your checklist you know what I mean pay your fast you know sure. your fast offerings and all the whole you know the whole nine yards it was never that was never the case with us so at 19 it wasn't mission military college it was no call it was college or, or right. military she, or moved to Provo right college she was big on college they go to college or have like some sort of something done with your life I'm sorry but the gates of hell <laughs> yeah. hold on a second but um but yeah they so even though they were in the church I think they were they were a lot more divorced from the church than I knew growing up because mm. as parents they didn't want to maybe lead that on too strongly when it's kind of an anchor when you're young mm -hmm. so anyways moved to Utah they were involved with the church and they were pretty vocal about their disagreements around us they didn't they didn't do like powwows like okay guys we're telling you what we don't like about the church but they didn't hide discussion they were having with each other mm. you know when they were doing things mm -hmm. they were making it really blatant but they weren't hiding anything really mm. and so eventually I think and since I was an adult at the time because I was 18 she would like mention things to me about like uh, things that bothered her 
you know. And so I kind of logged that away kind of in my, in my heart, you know, like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense, I guess, you know. And so um, that, that, that was kind of atmosphere that was in the house. Yeah. We were Mormon, but we weren't TBMs or true believing Mormons. Mm-hmm. At, at strongest, we were Leahonas, you know, kind of more free-spirited, kind of like go along with things. But there was never that, that, that strict impetus to follow all the rules, do the mission, pay the tithing, you know, marry in the temple, have the, you know, five kids and the white picket fence and make 150000 a year. That was never the driving force. Just to let the audience know what Eric's referring to as a Leahona Mormon is that in the Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith produced with Sidney Rigdon, in my opinion, there is an iron rod. They sing a song, Hold to the Rod, and it's very legalistic sounding. You you hold to the rod, and that would be a Mormon who does everything right by the book checklist, is what Eric's saying. And then there was another way to get around, and that's through this thing called the Liahona, which was like a compass that operated off faith, and that is much more spiritually driven rather than legalistically driven, and that's what he means by they were a Liahona family versus an iron rod family. Right, absolutely. So you moved to Timview, your mom, dad is teaching? My dad's teaching there at Timview. My mom's always just been a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And um, they were there for quite, I think they were there for five years, and then my, they decided to move down to Levan, Utah. Mm-hmm which is just a, a little hop, skip, and a jump away from Nephi, about an hour and a half south from Provo, which is uh, where they ended up kind of stopping their last stop before they moved to Montana. Um, it's when they were in um, Levan that things really started to catch steam with how they were, their position in the church, kind of what they felt they needed to do. Um, and I think that is when they f- first left the church. They really made a break at that point from the church. Officially or unofficially? Unofficially, yeah. there wasn't. They didn't put in papers to be take their names yeah. off the the records that I'm aware of. That may have been the case. I think they wrote letters. And what were you doing in the church at that time when they were? I was vacillating. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I was at that age where it was. I was with my friends. Mm-hmm. I was in my early twenties, mm-hmm. mid twenties. So I would go. I would not go. I would have a testimony. I wouldn't have a testimony. Mm-hmm. It was kind of all over the place, and so. I, I was kind of like a, a reed blowing in the wind a little bit, but I never, even at my even at my supposed strongest point of being in the church, I could never pull the plug on the testimony. I couldn't do it. Mm. I never bore my testimony. Mm. I, I I had bishops interview where I lied mm. because I was so intent on convincing myself this was I have to have this. You know mm. what I mean? I was coaxing myself into believing something I didn't believe in here. I see. You know. So how long did that go on? That went on for, let's see, that probably went on till um, close to when my dad, when we first saw my, my stepdad got sick. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, it really kind of sped off. So between living in Provo, Tempview High School teaching, and, and Montana. While in Provo or? In Montana. So they moved to Montana now. And we had lived there, I think we moved there in 98. Okay. So, but he didn't get sick. We didn't find out till 2003. He passed away, I think, within nine months of diagnosis. It was fast. It wasn't like it was a gradual thing. It was... Cancer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A rare cancer, actually. How old? Um, he, he was 58. Young? Okay. Yeah. So left your mom a widow with 15 left children. Left my mom a widow. But bef- before all this, they... 
when we're living in Calspell, they, they've always talked about kind of having an LDS community for people who are Mormon, but that, that weren't like the hardcore Mormons. Like okay. they, they love the culture of Mormonism, like the family values, you know what I mean? The, the, um, some of the, some of the, even some of the doctrinal ideas of, um, you know, many mansions in heaven, not just like burning in hell with pitchforks, or singing with harps in heaven, you know, they, 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 they like some of the ideas that were maybe a little bit more, that made more sense to them spiritually, if, you know, as a, it wasn't just like a, a black and white thing with like some Christian denominations. So they wanted to start a, a kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, but a group for people to, who were Mormon that wanted to be in the church, but that weren't in the church. And so in 2003, um, this is right before my dad found out he was sick like by a few months they started New Order Mormon uh, on the internet and it, it grew like wildfire pretty quick that's New Order Mormon this is big for those who've been in the LDS circles and and know these things this predates uh, John DeLynn's ministry uh, by uh, quite a few years it predates what we did of course Sandra Tanner's was, had been around for quite a while but this was an online yeah. thing right New Order Mormon absolutely it was online it was New Order Mormon dot uh, org I believe and um, they had actually, I think a lot of the idea came, because they had read all of Tanner's books. I remember getting, reading the Lighthouse mm -hmm. newsletters. They were in our house. I sure. mean, I remember reading them going, wow, I, I, where is this coming from? You know what I mean? And when you're, when you're not, not LDS, but you're not LDS and you read this, you're like, this is, this is fascinating. So what happened? They started New Order They still Mormon. ordered New Order Mormon. The only website I think that was out, that was anything like it was exmormon.org. Oh. I think they had already been they had already been around, um, but that was just too vitriolic for my folks. That's it was a lot of ex Mormons who had been soured on religion in general, mm -hmm. soured on Mormonism for good or bad, and so they wanted something where people could stay in, kind of feel like they could stay in the church, but not feel like they had to be so deeply immersed. Mm -hmm. And ex Mormon just was more of a venting avenue. Mm -hmm. New Order Mormon was supposed to be more of a um, let's try to reconcile, mm -hmm. see if we can come together, be Mormon, but kind of be more thoughtful and not feel so pressured. And so they started it and it, it just took off. I mean, Be a New Order Mormon. Exactly, a New Order Mormon. And the quote is, I forgot what the quote is from, it's from some old 1800s, someone said it, Pratt or someone, or maybe Joseph Smith, anyways, I don't remember. Mm. But So they start that, what are you doing in the faith now? I am just, I'm, I'm just the usual. I'm a read. I'm a, like a. I'm a read blowing You're in the wind. Still a read. You're still blowing in the I'm wind. I'm still blowing the wind. I'm. I believe in God. Yeah. I just don't know. I just don't know what what is truth. What do I really believe? I knew. I knew that there was a God. There is some. You know. There's a bigger plan for us. I just didn't know because it's confusing when you're raised in the church. There's such an emphasis on we're the only true church. Mm -hmm. They've walked that back a little bit nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, but they still say it, but I think they walked that back that kind of very strict, mm -hmm. we're the only game in town. Mm -hmm. So it's confusing when you're Mormon and you hear we're the only true, true church, but then you, you are raised in a family that's very intellectual, think for yourself. Mm -hmm. you know? And it was through no fault of my parents. They weren't trying to create a, you know, a mental mess for me. Mm -hmm. I think they're just trying to you know, steer us in the best direction they could. So I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then what happens? New Order Mormons so, going. You New don't Order, know. I don't know. My my father gets diagnosis with uh, uh, Merkel cell cancer, 
and he passes away in uh, uh, August 2004. Uh, it was a very traumatic experience. Uh, love him to death, still do. Think about him every day. Mm. It was very hard on my mom. Those two were uh, wonderful together. It was a great relationship. It, mm. it really hit her hard, it hit all of us hard. Mm. It's still affecting some of my siblings, I think. You know, when you lose a, a loved one, it's very, it's very traumatic. It's it really, it almost makes you question your faith a lot because mm. death, you know, you can't communicate with them anymore. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? That death tends to either destroy people's relationship with God or it somehow strengthens it. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very tough because you're like every people, like a lot of people think, it's like, why would you do this, God? Or how can you take, yeah. why, this nice man, why did you give him yeah. cancer? I mean, this guy came in, and he was a stepfather to a bunch of kids, and he was a great a, one. A wonderful. And he took on how many men would come in and take on all these children right. with their baggage from previous marriage right. and still love their mother. Right. And what's up with God with taking him right. when we've got a bunch of bums who won't even support their families no. and owe child support and are bums, and they live till they're 90. Right. Yeah. Right. Or 100 years old. Right. And they have no health issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's $150,000 in the bank. And it's like, how is this fair? Yeah. Yeah. And so... You think that's probably the, the thing is, how are you being fair, God? Right. How are you being fair? You question, how is God being fair? But, and that, that was going through my mind. I'm like, how is this fair? And that, his death really catapulted me into studying near-death experiences. Mm. Mm. Um, were, you, were you looking for perhaps... What were you looking for? I was, I was trying to make sense of his death because it seemed unjust to me. Mm. It would sadden me so much. I'm like, why is he, why is he dead? Mm. Why did he die? Why the near death? Because he didn't come back. So why the near death experience versus afterlife theology? Because the near death experience is a, it opened up a window to people whose bodies have been dead, dead bodies that had this ineffable experience and came back and said, wait a second, wait a second, this isn't it. You're not just, you're not just going on to the worms. Mm. I got a story to tell you. Mm. And so if you have people who are witnessing to the world, this isn't it, what does that do for someone like you, for instance, who's feeling like God isn't fair? Who cares? Yeah. Okay, you learn it's not it, but what does that have to do with God being fair or not? How does that, how does that weigh out in your mind? Well, you, you, that's a good question. Because when you realize that life is in the end, you start to answer the questions, what's my purpose in life? Mm -hmm. It becomes more a question, why am I here? Mm -hmm. And then that question becomes, okay, you, you start to realize, why am I here? What, what does God have in store for me? Mm -hmm. you, start to, you start to question or delve into the concept or the idea of what, what, is, my goal, what is my purpose in life? Mm -hmm. I'm just not like a, a number, a digit, or a cog. Mm -hmm. God loves me, obviously. Mm -hmm. This is why I have eternal life. So what's my, why am I here? Mm -hmm. I and then when you, when you start to answer that question, you start to understand, you start to ask, what, who is God? Mm -hmm. What is God? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is the point of life? And, these, and you go into these deeper holes, or you go into, into these other questions, and then you start to realize, this is such a bigger, it's so much bigger than us individually. Mm. A materialist can't see that. Everything is done like in a very right. mechanical point of view. But if you study near-death experiences in particular, you take away such a bigger 
bigger picture than than you could think possible. Yes. Even just even outside of afterlife theology, you know, yeah. that can only take you really so far. Yeah. But these testimonies are people that come back who really give a lot of hope, and by their testimonies or their experiences, they're almost like ambassadors. Mm. They come back with a message, and then that message illuminates on what the scripture says. Right. It's like almost a companion. Mm. Near-death experiences are like companions to what's in the Bible and what it talks about eternal life. So uh, one of the difficulties, for instance, like when I was having dialogue with John Delenn, is that he says many of our followers would say, you know, why is God, how is God just? And, and so from a materialist perspective, like you just mentioned, it's really hard to see God in a benef as, a, as a benevolent, good, loving God when he will allow a four-year-old to drown. I mean, it's just like that. Is, our, our life is so short. That four-year-old was innocent. You could have done something to prevent that. Why haven't you done it? The near-death experience, it opens the door to saying there's more, and then it opens the door then to say, perhaps that those four years on Earth were really purposeful in the ripple effect to everybody Absolutely. then, and that was used for that whole big picture, and in the end of it, that little moment of t terror and pain for everybody involved will mean nothing but good. Absolutely, and yeah. And that's what you've kind of sorted. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, like you were saying, a four-year-old dies, or someone's hiking and gets mauled by a bear, right. or hundreds of people die in a tsunami. How, you try to, the, the, the materialist, I think, tries to find, they just think it's, it's just life. Mm -hmm. Life sucks, right? Mm -hmm. we, we can't do anything about it. But as you're saying, the ripple effect, some, some, uh, I'm trying to explain this the right way. Earth is an interesting place. I think it's a school. Um, I, I think that some things that happen down here are kind of meant to happen. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is free will. And it's a mix of both. Mm. But the important thing is when an event happens, what's our reaction to it? Mm. What's our reaction? Are we... Are we cynical about life, or do we think, this child died, that affected me, what can I do to help these children from dying if it was from cancer? And maybe you contribute to research, or maybe you console a widow, and then their heart gets comforted, and then they feel more joy, so then they console somebody else. And so we're healing hearts, and we're bringing people, we're bringing people to God, not pushing them away. Because we see in the tragedy in, of life, and the sorrow, it's when we as individuals most need to stand up and offer our love to other people. Reach out to them, the suffering, right? So the ex existentialist uh, Jean-Paul Sartre said, uh, in essence, we are condemned to be free. What you're bringing, Eric, to this discussion right now is you're saying when that child dies, mauled by a bear, whatever it is, comes, we look at it and we either can say through our free will and the determinism that kind of came in that child perhaps was determined to go at that time under god's hand we in the school called earth look at that and we shoot we're condemned to make a choice we say i will never look to you or trust you again or we say i'm going to trust you in this and i'm going to praise you in the storm and, and, and so these experiences that we're gonna talk about with you and other people have had, open that up and they actually serve as something that's God honoring. Uh, there's a, we're gonna get to this, but there's a lot of people who are terrified of what you're talking about. 
They claim to be Christian. I don't know what other religious views are on a near-death experience, but Christians are particularly terrified by this idea. Yeah. They love to say, no, 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 anything like that, no, no, no. But we'll talk about that. But uh, I just wanted to uh, kind of bring in your thoughts on it initially, that it is, it is to... Um, the near-death experience examination opens us up to there being more purpose to this life than we might give it. More purpose, and it's, it's happening at a time now, really. I mean, it started really the 20th century. And if you think about it, we've gotten so materialistic that this is God balancing this all out. He's bringing it back around. We moved so, because we moved so far away with all of our philosophies and all of our you know, you know, the, the ways of men and all the, you know, all the, all our acute abilities for like cognitive understanding and conceptualizing that we've pushed God so far to the margin. The irony is with all of our technology and all of our materialism and whatnot, we've actually brought God, God is through his will. Mm -hmm. He said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, that's not how it works. Yeah. You don't get rid of me. Right. These are, you are my children. Mm. I'm still claiming you as mine. And it's such a, a message of hope mm. in a materialist age. And I think it's apropos that it's happening at a time like this, you know, where so many people are kind of all this, you know, technology and internet, and it seems like, where's God? But he's right there. I mean, there are, it's just amazing. It's mind boggling. We'll talk more about that. Let's go back to Kalispell. Your, your mom and uh, dad, stepdad moved to Kalispell. They start New Order Mormons somewhere in there. It's, it's very popular, you said. Very popular, yes. You're blowing in the wind a little bit. I'm still blowing in the wind. Pick it up from there. What happens with you and your faith? Where, where do you, when did you start to blossom? When did you, how old were you? Where, how old were you when you really were, you've always believed in God, but you really weren't sure about anything to where you sort of made the switch and what happened? I'm gonna, this is gonna be, this is gonna sound funny because I'm on your show. I really changed even though I had studied near-earth experience, when I first watched one of your shows. Hmm. And so I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I think you're an answer to a prayer, Sean, your ministry. Hmm. I, I honestly- Praise God. Praise, praise God indeed. I'm not even joking. It was your ministry did something in my heart that totally put Jesus right there and put, made me feel the Holy Spirit. And it really opened up my heart to the, the, the scriptures, hmm. to the Holy Scriptures, to the Holy Spirit and really set me on a path and a mission in my life to go How forward. How old were you when that happened? That was right before I got married. Okay. Maybe nine years ago. Okay. So uh, you started to see, so you started to see at that point uh, some value in biblical uh, analysis and, well, go yeah, ahead. Well, the thing is, is I was still, my mindset was still in kind of Mormonville. Yeah. I never really, I didn't really shake it. I was still thinking in terms of works and checklist and how do I, how am I worthy and do I have to repent for this and, and what about this sin and what about, what about that and what do I follow the Ten Commandments and blah, 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 on and on and on. And then I watched your, I watched your show and it was like, it was like it all sloughed off my back and I felt so liberated and free and I'm, the, the Holy Spirit is really working in you, my brother. And I, I, I thank you for that. And it touched into my heart and I'm, it just simplified everything. It was Jesus told me, it's really simple, Eric. Mm. It's really simple. I, this isn't like, a, this isn't a mousetrap. It isn't a Rube, Gold, a Rube Goldberg mm. deal. Yeah. It's, it's a straight line mm. and he's looking right at you. Mm. 
And that's how simple it was. And so, like, I've heard of other people who've watched the show. I was podcast after podcast after podcast. I was just eating it up. And mm. it just fed, it fed so much of, it, it, it filled so much in my heart that kind of was wanting for more. Mm. And so I realized that God, Jesus Christ, is love, ultimately. God is a God of love. God is love. It's that simple. Amen. And it's not love, and like a pie in the sky love and kind of an, a, an abstract. God is love as, this, as Paul described in Corinthians. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all those aspects and attributes that are good, true, beautiful, and good, yeah. that make you feel good in here, that, you know, are just, you know. So prior to coming to Heart of the Matter, you had been delving into near-death experiences. I had, yes. And was that from kind of a, just a universalist look? It was from, it was almost academic, oh. to be honest. I was really looking at it more from an academic point of view, as in it was, it was proving something for me. And what did you discover it proved at that point? That there is life after death. It, it, it's, it's Cross-culture. Right. It solidified in my mind, this isn't it. This is the end of it. There's more to it. Um, but I was almost not Christian in a way, too. Okay. Like, it was, life after, it was, it was almost too broadly universal for me. I see. But it, it helped really my, for lack of a better word, my testimony that there is life after death. It's not a materialist world. Okay. Which I already believe, but it really solidified it for me. And so studying it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And um, I remember, after I had studied it, I had read a book when I was younger called Life After Life, mm. written by Dwayne Crowther. Mm. It was written in 1967. Dwayne Crowther is a Mormon. Mm. And this book predates Life After Life, which is the seminal work by my, uh, Raymond Moody in 1975. Mm. He really put it on the, on the map, mm. you know, when that book came out. But Life After Life was an LDS book written about LDS near-death experiences. Mm. So I have to give the church credit mm. This book was published by the church in 1967. And if you have read it, I highly recommend reading it, whether you believe in the Mormon church or not. Mm. The whole book is just near-death experiences. Okay, we gotta just jump a little bit ahead, which I don't wanna get too far into yet. But when you say it's LDS near-death experiences, do those have specific events that are intrinsic to, to Mormon people? Yes and no. The interpret from my reading of the, of the events, there are some that seem very like, the, like, like they're having an LDS experience. But if you read the experience, nothing is really actually LDS. Mm. It's LDS people telling their experience on the other side. So if you just read it from a point of view of not being Mormon. So a non-Mormon wouldn't, wouldn't say, this is very different from what other people. Right, if, you were, if they were to couch the book that, and have it say that it wasn't Mormon or yeah. it wasn't LDS theology and there were none of that in there, mm -hmm. you would most of that book read it as a near-death experience book. So just to push it a little further, was, was that Crowther? Dwayne Crowther. Dwayne Crowther. And I believe is still alive. Uh, uh, was he, did, so he didn't say I passed on whatever he said, went through the tunnel, and I saw God the Father and Jesus Christ standing side by side the way the first vision. We don't have that coming out through the near-death not that, not that I remember in the book. See, the book is a compilation of probably almost hundreds of near-death experiences. Oh, okay. And these are taken from journals that he had access to from family. This is one of the advantages the church has. They are big in keeping journals. So there is a, just a ton of information okay. of experiences. And he compiled a whole bunch of experience of people in the church okay. who had died and Got come it. back. Got it. And it's an incredible story. But from my reading of it, 
there are some things that would sound LDS, but it depends on if you're reading it from a Mormon point of view, it's going to sound LDS. Right. But if you were to read it just from someone, like I said, if you could couch the book in non-LDS terms. How about, a Christ, how about Christian terms? How a evangelical Christians born and raised to be taught, if they read it, not stripping away the name Mormon or LDS, would they say, oh, this, this fits right in with how I would? I would say much, yeah. I would much. say yes okay. if, if they're not the Christian that thinks it's baloney. Right. 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 If, they're not, yeah, if they're not skeptical to begin with. Okay, here's the, here's the funny thing about some of, some, some of Christianity, and it's not all like this. They're, they're big in the Sola Scriptura uh, until it's near death experiences, and then they're materialist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All of a sudden, it's hypoxia. Yeah. Or it's like it's something else. They're, they're, on, they're all in it for science. Yeah. Until it gets, and you know what I mean? So they use scientific explanation to, d to describe near death experience, but they use spiritual explanation for everything. Everything else, else in the Bible. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's to the T. Yeah. Yeah. And not all of them are like that. It's changing in Christianity. Uh, before we move forward to talk more, more, more about the near death, I want to ask so, how does this? I'm just thinking of when yeah. I was LDS. I used, there was a family who used to go to the temple every week or whatever, and they used to come back and say they saw spirits in the temple. How do, do, do your views of near-death experience from the Christian perspective dovetail in with people who see people who have passed, angels, spirits, demons? Does it, how does that fit in with your way of thinking? And in what context? They're seeing them in what context? Uh, they're, they, are, they are seeing an angel. They are, are you talking about in the temple? Or no, no, no. I'm talking about your, to anybody. I'm not talking oh, about yeah. Mormons because Mormons say they see them in the temple right. all the time. Right. Mormons have the, the view of people right. all the time. Right. Because it fits right in with their right. theology. But what is your view now? You're, you're yeah. a believer. Uh, so what is your view of spirits? Not talking about near death, but just spirits here on earth, including demons, visions, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my good friend, uh, Robert Osgood, who is an admin in our group, um, if you get a chance, his, listen to his interview on YouTube. Just type in Robert Osgood near-death experience on YouTube. Spell it O-S-O-S-G-O-O-D. It's Robert K. Osgood. But if you type in Robert Osgood near-death experience on YouTube, okay. um, he has two interviews uh, with Lee Whitting, who is a, um, he's a chaplain and he's a minister back in, they both live in Maine. He, and Lee Whitting, he works with IONS, which is International Association for Near-Death Studies, and he interviews NDEers, people who've died and come back. Mm. He has like a once a week podcast um, that he does that you can watch, it's free. And he interviews uh, Robert Osgood. And uh, Robert Osgood is, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man. He, we'll talk about him. He is an amazing man. I love this man with all my heart. He, he's had, he had several near-death experiences, dead. And these are documented medically by, like, his vitals gone, hospital. He, he you know, it's, 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 can be corroborated. And there's, so he said in hospitals, there are angels all over the place. They're everywhere. You can't see them. See, Sean, we think we're alone here. I look at you, you look at me, the, you know, guys over there. We think we're in this room by ourselves. Mm. There's angels in this room mm. who love us and care for us. Um, and the reason I mentioned the ones in the hospitals is that souls come and go there. They die and they go to heaven. And there's a lot, a lot of angels there because of prayer. And prayers are answered, believe me. And there's tangible. You can see prayers 
in heaven, there was an NDE where it looked like, someone had described it looked like, like a trail of a fire were coming up, and those were prayers from people on earth. Mm. And, and so there was a lot of angels in the hospital. There's a lot, there's angels in this room. Howard Storm said, another end-to-ear. He was one of the earliest, in the early 80s, who, uh, he wrote My Descent into Death. He saw Jesus as well. And I actually had the opportunity of talking to him on the phone. It was incredible. But he, and in one of his books, in one of his interviews, he said, if you could see it for spiritual eyes, there, there are so many angels around, you would be mind blown. And wherever there's people, there's probably more angels than people. What I'm trying to get at is, there, there's, the heavenly world is always interacting with us. In reality, our reality here works on a continuum. Okay. Let me explain that a little more detail. Sometimes God will come to you in a dream. Okay. Sometimes God will speak to somebody by something they see, a butterfly or a rainbow. Sometimes God will speak to us through, if you're driving and it's like, turn here, and you turn, and next thing you know, there's an accident right in front of you, people dead. Sometimes God speaks to people who are maybe mourning a loved one or they're out doing something and they see, they see for an instant, they see someone who's passed on. And so the near-death experience is the, is the far end of the continuum okay. of how God reveals himself to us. Right. So you have probably, dreams are probably the most rudimentary and crude, okay. I would say. The near-death experience is dying and coming back, okay. where it's the most, he really comes to you, you cross over, you leave your body, you're in heaven, you experience you know, the spiritual world, and there's everything in between, right? It's not, it's not black and white. Sure. God works on a continuum. He reveals to us himself on a continuum. The Holy Spirit works with us on a continuum. Okay. In that continuum, yeah. uh, is it understood that God himself, Jesus, will make an appearance? Is that, is that part of that? Because there are people who say Jesus yeah. came, is that? I, I believe so, okay. I believe so. All right. It's not happened to me personally. Right. I know people it has happened to. Right. Dead and not dead. Dead and not dead. Because Christ isn't limited to the physical world. He super, his resurrection is proof. He right. supersedes the physical world. Yeah. I'm, right now, just to uh, keep us on track, I am speaking all of pre-death. Right. Not NDEs. Pre-death. Okay. Yeah. Now, a couple questions. Yeah. And they're, they're tough. With the angels, are there demons in, in, in the way people who understand and study these things. There's angels all among, are there demons too? From my research into the subject, and it's a touchy subject for some people, I, I have to be honest and say, there, there are some forces that I would say they're lost. I wouldn't say it's straight up demonically evil like pitchforks and like looking to destroy you mm -hmm. necessarily as there are lost souls that are very embittered mm. uh, maybe angry and very um, kind of nasty mm. Howard Storm had that experience and I'll kind of explain it really quickly what happened to him uh, this I have to go back and into the experiences uh, he so he he died and the first thing that happened was he went to this area and it was dark and he was by himself and there were all hear all these voices and they were like cursing at him and saying all these bad things. Next thing you know, they were assaulting him physically. And every time I watch the interview, he chokes up when he talks about it because they were not nice. They did things he doesn't like to even to mention, really gross, disgusting, nasty things. And then he was an atheist. Mm. 
He was a dyed-in-the-wool atheist. He was a professor at a college. He didn't believe in God. He didn't have time for God. And he was, he was so afraid. He was like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in hell forever. And these demons were taunting him and like, you know, trying to scratch him and all this. And he, 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 did what, he only did what he knew how from a child. He started singing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's when this light appeared and came and got larger and larger. And it, Jesus Christ picked him up. The, the demons fled. Jesus Christ picked him up. And as they ascended to the light, all the wounds, everything healed mental, everything were, were, were gone. But um, it's, so Jesus Christ is very present. And there are, there are, forces there that are dark but when I talk to Howard Storm about this I'm like are these are these what's going on here are these people demons are they doomed to this place forever and he said they can at any moment accept Christ again see we think when we cross over on the other side it's like well I'm not I'm you know give me the harp I'm not gonna be a bad guy but we don't we're still ourselves in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So if your focus is malevolence or anger or resentment, you're, you're gonna, part of that's gonna be there, I think, for some people. Mm -hmm. But it's, I believe it's a temporary thing. And these are people who are just still stuck in maybe a part of their lives that is, was too central to, to hardening of their hearts. I see. As far as de just outright demons, I just, I can't say one way or the other. I don't know. Difficult near-death experiences are a very small minority mm. of actual experiences. Wow. They are, they are there. Mm -hmm. they, they are there. I can't deny it. Mm -hmm. So what you're, we'll talk about that, but you're talking about people who go to a bad place. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, and, and real quickly, George Ritchie, who was the, he was in a medical doctor himself, and he was kind of the catalyst that when Raymond, Raymond Moody, he wrote Life After Life, one of Raymond Moody's teachers in college was George Ritchie. Raymond Moody was a doctor, George Ritchie was a doctor. Well, in one of Ray, uh, George Ritchie's classes one day, he told him about his near-death experience. And of course, George Ritchie wrote Return from Tomorrow. It's a famous book about NDEs, written in, written in 1977 or 79. Hmm. It was after the fact. But he had an experience in his NDE where there were people at a bar drinking, just destroying their life. And there were these spirits there just waiting to like come right in. And like, you know, look, this person, doesn't care, they're not respecting what God gave them, and it's almost like they're, they're just magnetized to the, just to, the, to the filth, you know what I mean? It's what they know. Mm. It's still kind of, um, I still don't understand it fully. Sure. But I, th I think it's something shown to people as a way to change their heart, mm -hmm. as opposed to like a constant reality. Mm -hmm. But we could talk about it more. It's a very heady subject. Now, I have an answer in my mind for how to explain uh, what I'm about to ask you, but I, I want to hear your view of it. Uh, when you said angels are all around us, they're between here and, and the cage where they were doing the tech and all that. Angels, angels, angels. And uh, heaven is combined with us. So uh, a more cynical person might say, well, so are there angels all around when a man kidnaps a 14-year-old girl and prisons her for six years and rapes her daily? Are angels all around there? What's going on in that? Where is the learning yeah. to be done? How would yeah. you uh, explain that one to someone who would ask a question like that? I think we're all born with angels. Um, every child, Personal? Yeah, every child of God, I think, has angels. However, we, we can only, they can only help into, for 
they're they're always with us, but they can only do so much. When we when we're on Earth, there are strict limits and rules about what happens, about how we can communicate, how close we can get close, but. There's only so much that an angel can do. And I know that sounds kind of like a cop-out. No, it doesn't to me. But they can only, I mean, an angel can only do so much. Mm. They can't supersede, they can't come into Earth and just like, you know, there's, there'll be no point of being on Earth. Mm -hmm. They just can't come down and be like, pluck everybody out. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is no disrespect to my real father, but, you know, he was an abusive guy. Mm. Where was my angel for that? You know what I mean? You kind right. of feel like, I, where's my angel? Mm -hmm. All I, I just have to look at it and know that God knows the pain and suffering and hurt, and I have to, all I, that's where faith comes in. I just have to rely and have faith in God that ultimately, ultimately, the, the wounds and the scars will be taken care of. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be evil done by people by any means. Mm -hmm. I mean, man is, is, an, is, an, is an evil, does evil things. Sure. Look at the Middle East. So the other uh, but, follow up, oh, go ahead. But I'm just saying, the angels are still with both those individuals. And I believe that they are probably doing as much as they possibly can that God will, this is, not, this is not against God, that they're doing as much as they possibly can probably to, to try to fix a very ugly, sad, disgusting situation that right. could possibly happen. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're just sitting back not doing anything. They're doing as much as they possibly can. But they don't break the rules that would uh, cause him to be despotic. You can't. The spiritual, the spiritual and the physical can come together, but there, there are rules. Yeah. There's a reason why in a near-death experience you go to heaven to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord, right? right? You can't. You can only, God only allows us to mix it so much. Okay. So that being said, I've got to ask you one more question because uh, it's important to me personally. Absent from the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Yes. So absolutely. then, what are your thoughts on resurrection? It's purely spiritual. Yeah, well, there is uh, no. I'm right with you on that. I, I'm telling you, and this is where you're. I don't believe the physical comes back. What's the point? Right. There's no point of bringing the body back. No. Right. You know, this Earth, Earth is a terrestrial planet in a galaxy that has, in a universe that has billions of galaxies. There's no point in resurrecting the physical. The spiritual world is supreme. Yeah. This is a, this is a, this coat, this is like a coat, a jacket we're wearing. And it's strictly to, to help us learn how to, to love, to honor, to protect, to help, to defend, mm -hmm. to be just good people, to try to do what God would do. That's our ultimate goal, to try to reflect God's goodwill and nature mm -hmm. as best we can, because we're children of God. Mm -hmm. Even the nasty ones, I hate to say it, we're all children of God. But yes, I think it's spiritual. It's definitely all spiritual. I don't believe in the reuniting of the physical. Our true self is pure spirit, absolute pure spirit, which is light. It's something we can't comprehend. It's so amazing. Well, most Christians would disagree with you, but I agree with you, and I agree with you from Scripture. I think it is clear that the resurrection is a spiritual body, a spiritual body yes. that we, we get. It's absolutely. But I wanted to throw that out there for you. One last thing, just in terms of as if, if you were to counsel, let's say we have um, a woman here who's lost a child, who drowned. And across the road is another woman whose child fell into the pool and someone saved her. And both go to church the following Sunday. And the one woman whose child was saved says, God saved my child. God is so great. He loves me. He loves us so much. I'm so happy he's done that. What do you say? And we've covered it, I know. But what do yeah. you say in that situation? Because it's something that irritates me as a, as a Christian. 
I have no problem with praising God for the good, but it's something we need to learn to also praise Him in the bad. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that He causes any of it, but I think He is there to help us through it. How do you feel yeah. about that situation? Well, God is omniscient. He knows that kid's going to drown, that kid's not going to drown. Yeah. He's omniscient. You have to wrap your head around that concept that God knows all. Yeah. He knows all. I think a big part of, of coming to earth, and we'll talk about kind of pre-existent stuff to some later, but I think a big part about coming to earth is um, you ha having absolute trust in God. It's possible some children are born just for a, f a short season. Mm. We don't know why. I asked Howard Storm, why did all these people die in a tsunami? Why, why, you know, the person get mauled by the bear or the girl that's abducted? Why all this tragedy? And he said, I don't know the mind of God. I was expecting some answer to it. But he was honest. I'm sorry, I don't know the mind of God. What's important is our reaction to what happens in our life. So these traumatic and these tragic events, these, these women who lost their children, What's the reaction, not just of the individual, mm. what's the reaction of the people near them? Mm. Are they reaching out in love? Mm. Are they consoling, like in the scripture, pure, pure religion, undefiled? Yeah, widows and orphans. Widows and orphans. Mm -hmm. That's all about a labor of love. And so it's our reaction to tragedy, which really sets us apart from just the, the person who's an atheist that goes out to makes money. Mm. What's our reaction in life? How are we acting to success, to failure, to tragedy? the sadness what, so what are would, we doing would you suggest then that it's really incumbent upon christians uh people who have received christ presumably in their life or upon pastors or reverends of christianity to approach it more that way to help people react better in these times of pain and woe and and to be able to become people of faith in those times rather than people of bitterness absolutely yes yeah, and not to lose, not to lose faith in God. You don't have. It doesn't have to be pure fatalism. Like this is all planned out. Yeah. You know, it's interspersed. There's some. I think some predestination, and there's a lot of free will. Yeah. We don't know where it all comes down. Mm -hmm. From setting NDEs, I think we do come down. We. There are some things chosen. There are some things chosen. I can only assume that because God is omniscient. Yeah. So there is a part of us that plays. And the, and the enfoldment of it. Sure. But there, a lot of it is free will. And it's how are you, how are we reacting to the, to the tragedy in our lives? Mm. And that's why love is so important on earth. Mm. It's so incumbent upon us to love one another, to really help the destitute and the poor. Mm. Rich, mm. not rich, it doesn't matter where your station is. Mm. If you're, you know, Howard, Howard Storm, I'm gonna quote him a lot too. He asked these angels when his, he had his near-death experience, they, Jesus said, you, things have got to change on earth. They've got to change. You know, this is, you, you have to change it. It can be done. And he said, how am I going to do that? He goes, you see the earth, there's all this iniquity, there's all this evil. He's like, how is this going to be possible? How can I do it? I'm one man. What can I do? And it was a really simple answer. He said, love the one you're with. And, and Howard I kind of stopped. And this is how it went. And he's like, excuse me? And Jesus said, love the one you're with. And, he, and Howard said, so you're telling me just love the one I'm with? And Jesus said, yes. Love the person you're with. Because mm. here's the thing, Sean. 
we're not omniscient, we're not omnipresent. I can't be in 200 places. Mm -hmm. But if I love you right in front of me now, mm -hmm. if I love my wife, mm -hmm. if I love my neighbor, if I love the person I'm in the grocery store, mm -hmm. it's the ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Your love, your kindness is going to, is going to affect their hearts that's going to cause them to then affect somebody else's heart and then out it goes into the world. Mm -hmm. This is how the spirit works on the physical plane. Got it. So I think it's very important to your, whoever's in your circle, make, become Christ-like, uh, like, like Paul was. Mm -hmm. Be very humble. Buy the person's groceries behind you. Mm -hmm. Don't let, you know what I mean? You don't have to announce it, mm -hmm. like with fanfare, like to say, mm -hmm. but you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Apply those New Testament principles, we read and read and read and read, and it's the point right. to your life today. Well, it's like that old cliche, what would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. It's so such a cliche, but it's so true. Yeah. That's because the gospel isn't, isn't, isn't a complicated thing. It's very right. simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's it. Those are the commandments. That's what we got to follow. Amen. So, Eric, you've, uh, we've taken up part of the matter, helped you understand at least the Christian Jesus a little bit better. You... Uh, what happened now with you uh, and your NDE studies and then and then I want to get into um, before we talk more, more specifics about them specifically about the criticism the resistance the explanations for them that are uh, are, are that say they're not valid no. so what happened to you after heart of the matter and then you started what happened uh, after heart of the matter I started to read the Bible Sean when I was a Mormon I never read past the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. I never read past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, why? Amazing. I know, why? why? When you're, and you can relate to this, I think when you're LDS, it's the four Gospels and some other little bits, mm -hmm. but you don't go past the four Gospels really. Mm -hmm. I didn't really start to understand the Bible until I was watching your, your campus. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know the New Testament until I got into the New Testament mm -hmm. and what Paul wrote. You see, in some respects, in the Mormon Church, Paul's a four-letter word, literally, yeah, and figuratively, yeah. Uh, and so I really, I and let me tell you, that really opened up so much to me spiritually, understanding the context of everything. So I started to read the the New Testament and really understand it. And then I all the, all the information from near-death experience was being corroborated by I was reading in in the, all these books I never read before. Wow. I didn't understand, hmm. and it was like a light went off in my head. You know, whether it was Corinthians has a ton of stuff, Romans, uh, Timothy, Peter, First Peter, Book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I, started to do, I started to do internet research about more how Christianity and near-death experiences coincided. Mm -hmm. um, me, personally, I believe Paul had a near-death experience on his mm -hmm. conversion. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen, the martyr, had a near-death experience, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew a man who got caught up in the third heaven. Mm -hmm. That was an NDE. That's just, this is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. you, can, you know, people can take it or leave it. But the similarities are too, are too close. They're too near each other to, to, to be dismissive of it. But the more I read it, the more I, I realized these, these two are, are coming together. Mm -hmm. And then I started to do some analytical research about Jesus and near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found out that Jesus is seen more in near-death experiences than any other known person hmm. in the world, in world history. Wow. He's seen in about 7% of NDEs. What percent? About 7%. 7% Jesus is seen. Is seen. More than anyone else. And, and, and there are Muslims seeing him, Hindus seeing him, Chinese wow. who were just like Taoist or what have you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter which culture you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And that, when it really started to roll... 
And then in the last, it's been in the last two, so I really just tried to do a lot more research, mm. reading books. I've got a huge library, my wife will tell you, I've got, I'm still buying books because I just can't get enough. And then it, the more I read, and they're reading the Bible, the Bible, they just kept coming like this. And then and they're just they're just like they're just crashing right into each other. Mm. It's amazing. And so my testimony has gone from mm. from from good to mm. off the chart. Mm. And I you, couldn't have done it without you. You mentioned oh, of course. You mentioned well, I don't mean of course. I meant you I thought you said I could have done it without I couldn't have done it without well, you, Sean. The Lord would have reached you one way or another, but you said you said something to me, uh, you said something just a second ago. You said those who, who die with filth, who have a hard heart, bitter heart they'll continue on with that perhaps and and those who die with a good heart or whatever continue on with that and that's what revelation says yeah. johnny cash sings that you know uh it, it, that's said in scripture so when you said that that's what nde people and your explanation of the after invisible afterlife is i i went to revelation i said it says that in scripture so i started to do what you just explained that you went and you were reading the scripture and you were finding out in the New Testament, it was echoing things you had read in NDEs. Right, right. We're coming at the opposite point the of view. Opposite, yeah. Exactly. We're coming at the same point. Absolutely. Which is really intriguing to me. Yeah. I, I want to hear more about that. Well, and the thing is about the, the, the baggage we carry, sometimes it's sloughed off. Like the person of NDE and it's gone. And other times it's carried on. But I, I kind of, I'm a believer of what George McDonald said. And I sent you this meme. The very fire of hell uh, is a fire of, of uh, purification. In other words, it's going to burn the evil out of you. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a fire. It's the fire of God. It's the fire of love. Ultimately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just going to go in there, and it, it may not be pleasant. Right. But it's going to burn that evil out of you sooner or later. Sure. And I believe every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Yeah. Eventually, they will. All, they will all do that. Um, and this kind of dovetails in what I want to say next. And most and many NDEs, I forgot the percentages, I have it on my phone here. There's what's called a life review. And what happens is a person dies, right, on the operating table or however they die, car accident, and they, they have a life review. And it's, they see their entire life, what they've done. Now there's a percent that have that, you say. Most there's a, there's a, Jeffrey Long, he's another medical doctor. A lot of medical doctors in NDE research he heads up Enderf, which is Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and he does a lot of statistical information. Mm. So I highly recommend his works if you want to get the statistical information. But he breaks it down by how many individuals have life reviews who have near-death experiences. Wow. I forgot what the percentage was. But it's high. It's high. Yeah. It's relatively high. Okay. It's at least, I think, 50%. Oh, wow. It's high. Yeah. But I may be wrong. Okay. Uh, there's so much information. I, did, yeah. I would have, like, stacks here, yeah. Sean. I'd be like, hold on a second. Yeah. You know? But... Um, so what happened, and this is, and I think these, these life reviews, these judgments, is the last judgment spoken of in the book of Revelation. Books are open, we get to read. The book's open. What happens is, this is the thing about the life review, it's fascinating. Most of the time, the experiencer will be there either with an angel or a light of some kind. They'll be an angelic being, and they will see their entire life played out from birth to the present moment. Mm. Here's the caveat, though. They experience it all. But they don't just experience it. They experience it from the point of view of maybe somebody that they were mean and nasty to. They experience it from the point of view of three people out. Wow. So, but, but also, and here's the thing though, so they're also, the light that's with them mm. is giving them love, not oh. judging them, giving them love. As they experience it. As they that. experience it. Whoa. They're giving them love because here's the thing, the light knows 
whether it's an angel, your angel, or an ambassador, it's some ambassador for God, because everything serves God in the afterlife. The light knows earth is a, you know what? Yeah. This isn't no cakewalk, Sean. Yeah. We've had friends and family by both of us. We know it's tough, yeah. and things we talked about. So I th when we die and we experience it all, the light knows we're not omniscient. We are super fallible, finite beings. Yeah. And, a lot, and that light is there for some comfort mm -hmm. for a lot of people, because there's a lot, when they watch these, a lot of times people are like, I felt so bad, but the light was there not judging me, giving me love, mm -hmm. even though I felt horrible about things I did. Yeah, when you just said that, I just thought, uh, I, I mean, I am resisting emotions right now, but I just thought, if I got before God or an angelic being, and I saw my life from a baby all the way through, uh, I am broken. I am done right now. I'm not... I'm not real happy Sean, with myself. That makes two of us. I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. That, I, don't, I don't have the that's best thing. That's just really, I'm not terrified of it because. But Sean, it's, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But here's the thing. The, the, the thing, here's the, here's the good news, Sean, is that God still loves you. Yeah. In my sin, God loves me. Yeah. In my wretchedness, God loves me. Howard Storm, he felt like dross. He felt like, how could God, he felt so bad. How could you love me, God? Look what I've done to you. I've turned away all these people from you. I've made atheists out of my students. How could you love me? Jesus still loved him. And you know what? He was, Howard Storm had an interview, Sean, and, and this always touches me, where after he had all this wretchedness and God lifted him out, um, he's like, I felt like I was the only person in the world in the entire universe that God loved. Like he loved me more than everybody else. I was the guy. He loves me more than anyone. And then he told the interviewer, uh, but here's the flip side. He feels the same way about you too. Mm. Wow. He loves us, Sean, he loves you and me. Like we're both the it, we're it. Mm. That's, That's how love, much love it? there is. That's love. Like, like we're it. We can't fathom the, the depth of his love on earth. We can't even get close. Mm. If you imagine, you're, if you've had a parent or a relative that's loved you and comforted you and always been so wonderful, and you can multiply that by a trillion, you might scratch the surface. And that's the kind of love these people feel on the other side. But so, they, so these people have these life reviews, and it's not, which I think is the last judgment, and it's not to make us feel bad, but it's like, let's just see how you did on earth. How did it go? What did you, what, let's just, we'll kind of go over it all. You can see how it went. And it's just for us to reflect because ultimately we're trying just to be like God. Mm -hmm. We're trying to be like our Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. Amen. And, 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 we're, and we fail. Yeah. But the light knows. The light knows us because we're children of God. We're out of time with this. It went like that. It was just like that. Maybe like our lives go. And uh, we're going to come back next week for part two here and uh, talking about near-death experiences more specifically the criticisms of them, the fear we have of them, the cynicism that we have of them, I've had of them. And uh, so far, I'm really just so impressed and so blessed to be able to talk about this with some um, research and some statistics and some analysis. And uh, so join us next week with uh, Eric and I.